Welcome to Unabridged Conversations, the Black Radical Tradition. This podcast features unedited interviews from most of the participants in the documentary film project, Conversations, the Black Radical Tradition, released in 2021 by BK Scholar Productions. Each interview is introduced by Conversations director, filmmaker, and interviewer, Edwion Easy Stokes. This episode of Unabridged Conversations, the Black Radical Tradition, features veteran political prisoner activist, Dekwi Siddiqui. This interview was filmed between 2017 and 2018 in Brooklyn, New York. Okay, uh, tell me who you are and talk about the work that you're currently involved with. Okay, so my name is Dekwi Kioni Siddiqui. I am a wife and mother and grandmother an artist. Uh, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Um, the oldest of my mother and father's three children, uh, two brothers and, and me. Um, I'm an educator for liberation. I, um, I'm a radio producer, co-host and co-producer on listener-sponsored WBAI uh, the program is called uh, Where We Live, and on that show we focus on U.S. held political prisoners, uh, the survivors of police terror and murder, their surviving family members, political um, prisoners, of course, as I said, and just repression and other grassroots issues. How, would, how did you uh, become involved in political uh, activities and uh was there any particular event that sort of caused you to jump off the sideline, or were you always guided by this uh, consciousness? Well, I don't think that I was always guided by this particular consciousness. I feel like life is about evolving and our human development. I know that as a child, I didn't like to see people picked on, so I always wanted to be friends with the person that was with the, the child, the student that I saw being picked on or didn't have any friends. Um, but I would say that the the most life-changing political event for me was moving back to Brooklyn. I lived in New Jersey for quite a while with during my first marriage, raising my children. And then I came back to, to Brooklyn after um, that divorce, and I, I went to college. I, went, I was an adult, a, a, a single divorced mother, when I went to Mega Evers College. And meeting the folks at Mega Evers College, the uh, Zyla Highsmith-Taylor, the, uh, Dr. Mary Umalu, and Don Quinn Kelly, and Sophia Ben. Delhi and like just the radical tradition of of activists and scholars and and black folks who love being black being at Mega Evers. Um, so I took classes there that helped me to start learning about African history and our historical experience here in this country as well as around the world. And um, I met, I went to Grant's tomb. Um, when Grant's Tomb used to do music of jazz on Wednesdays, and I met Brother Shep, um, and they were putting together the Black Panther Collective that was uh, an organization, a collective that was made up of people who had been in the original Black Panther Party and then newer activists, another generation of activists. And part of the work we did, in addition to the survival programs of feeding the people and political education classes, part of that work was visiting political prisoners. And so that was my introduction 
to political prisoners. And the more I was learning about our historical experience here in, in, the, in this settled land called the United States of America, that couldn't help but radicalize me because the tyranny and the terror that black folks have lived with in this country, on this land since 1619, is just maddening. Like, in your lifetime, I feel like in my lifetime, I have, I'm duty-bound and I have an obligation to not just pass that history and history on, but to do something about it. So that kind of radicalized me. And then meeting those brothers who were inside the prison walls for doing nothing but serving the people and fighting for our liberation helped to radicalize me. So I, I saw that that, was, uh, that goes into my next question. And um, I, I, I became aware of you and your work because of the work that you were doing with uh, political prisoners. And uh, one of the chapters in this film is dedicated to political prisoners. So um, what exactly, uh, what, what are your thoughts on political prisoners? And if you could talk to me a little bit about why you think there is such this uh, mainstream effort to sort of erase and sort of just to ignore uh, that there are political prisoners mm -hmm. back in this country. Well, that question is so important, right? Because I don't even think it's so much that they try to erase. They work to minimize it. Well, black resistance has been criminalized since the days of those slave ships. When the black folks, the kidnapped Africans, fought for freedom to, to escape that captivity, they were criminalized and they were tortured and beaten and killed. And then when we, even when we talk about Harriet Tubman in her lifetime, here we are 200 years later and she, it's okay to talk about Harriet Tubman. Um, but when she was alive, she was called a criminal and a thief, and she was wanted dead or alive with a, a $40,000 bounty on her head. So the fact that um, political prisoners are marginalized in this country is the same. To me, it's the same way in which not just black resistance is marginalized and criminalized, but when they terrorize and murder, the police murder black, unarmed black men and women and children, they are then demonized. The victim, the murdered victim is then demonized and criminalized. So the truth of our history is never told by the mainstream because they know that if people really know and understand the truth, then more people will be like more of us who then become radicalized politically and want to do something to, um, to change this system. So they work in tooth and nail to keep people held in, the bond to, um, in, in, in ignorance to not know and to not understand and to not see the connections. But every one of the political prisoners that I have met and that I know of, they're in prison simply because they said not on my watch. Because every issue that people fight against today, whether it's homelessness, whether it's police terror and murder, whether it's the right to a decent, decent education, housing, health care, you name it. These are the things when you look at the Black Panther Party's 10-point platform and program, all the issues that people are struggling either for or against to, or to stop the, that, that, that level of repression or injustice, that's the same thing that our political prisoners are in prison for. And so I believe that these are our living Freedom Fridays. So if we're going to talk about Harriet Tubman and we're going to talk about Denmark Vesey and Nandi and Fannie Lou Hamer and all of those people, then in the same breath, we must also talk about Sundiata Akoli and Dr. Matulu Shakur and Veraza Bowers and Kamal Siddiqui, that there is no separation, right? It's, 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 we shouldn't wait until people are dead 
to honor them and to talk about them. We need to talk about the freedom fighters who are among the living and to remember that we have an obligation and a responsibility to fight for them in the same ways that they fought for us. Um, uh, another reason, another reason that uh, I, I, I asked, I reached out to you um, is because you are the wife of a political prisoner or a freed uh, political prisoner and brother, Sekou Odinga. So if you can talk to me about uh, sort of his story and some of the things that he was involved with when you met him that sort of uh, attracted you towards him and ultimately how you guys became uh, to, be, to marry each other. Okay. Well, my introduction to Sekou is as, you, you know, as, because he, is one of, he was one of our political prisoners. And so I knew of him long before I knew him. Um, and he was he did 28 years in the federal system um, for the liberation of Asada Shakur. Right. Our living Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman had a forty thousand dollar reward on her head um, in 1840s. Uh, Asada Shakur has a two million dollar reward on her head in 2018. And she was criminalized just like um Harriet Tubman was. So I knew of his history in terms of him being uh, a member of the Black Panther Party, that he escaped capture during the 21, uh, the, the New York Panther 21 case, that he went to Algeria to set up the international section of the Black Panther Party. And I had heard about you know, heard about him through that, read about him through that. And in 2009, when he maxed out of his federal time, is when he was transferred, quote, paroled, end quote, to uh, New York State to continue his New York State sentence for the attempted murder of six uh, New York City police officers for not stopping when they told them to stop and for defending himself against police shooting at him and his comrade partner M. Tahari uh, Sundiata Shabaka, who was then assassinated on that October 23rd, 1981 date. So I did not meet Sekou in the physical until 2010 because he came in 2009 I think I I went to see him maybe towards the end of 2009 the beginning because that was part of the work as um, the, although the Black Panther Collective was no longer in existence, I had all, I, I, I never stopped visiting political prisons, both as my work with the New York City Jericho movement and just as an activist who these became my brothers and um, and my friends. So I'm, um, that's how I'm, that's how I met him physically, but we had corresponded. I do a dinner every year as the chairperson of the Malcolm X Commemoration Committee. We put together a dinner to pay tribute to the families of our political prisoners and to honor them, um, to, to honor the families and to raise some funds for the commissary of the political prisoners that are represented. So I, you know, my correspondence with him was from that uh, from that as well. And then in meeting Sekou, he has the qualities of a black man that I really admire and respect. There's strength, there's commitment, there's self-determination, there's responsibility, there's the protection of, um, of, of, of yourself and your, um, your, your, your family, your community, and your, your nation. So the, he he embodied those qualities even before I met him that I knew that he had those qualities and then meeting him I saw in another way his humanity and his gentleness he don't like for me to say this 
but he has a gentleness, right? His sense of humor, he's funny, he's loving, he has a complete love for his family, his children. You know, even today, he still talks about his mom and his dad and, and his aunties and, and uncles. And so he's a, he's a, he, I'm a feminist, but I, I can appreciate a man's man. And that's when I think about Sekou and I think about some of the other brothers that I know and love. That's what I think about. I think about an, an era of men who were black men who didn't, who weren't afraid to stand up for what they believed in, who weren't afraid to stand up to take care of and protect and defend their families and their nation. Um, so I, I sort of want to ask you about uh, what it's like, like behind the scenes. Like a lot of people we, we see and we read about these, but it's, uh, it's not often that we're presented the opportunity like I am to sort of get to ask someone who's actually living this. So um, what is it like? to be a wife of a political prisoner. I know you, you, you mentioned in, uh, in past public talks about arranging uh, visits via the bus. So sort of like from the family aspect, what does the toll of being you know, the wife of a political prisoner uh, take? You know, I was not married to Sekou his whole bid. So when you talk about, you know, being the wife, I was, you know, I met him. I'm not good with dates when, when exactly we met and when we got married. But this is 2018. He came to New York in 2009. But his family, they have been there when it wasn't popular to talk about political prisoners, when no one talked about political prisoners because they had been um, scared into silence. They had been marginalized. People had so demonized the Black Liberation Army. People talked about, you know, well, did, weren't they guilty? Weren't they convicted of killing a police officer? So people for a long time forgot about our Black Liberation Army political prisoners. But the families, like one, Sekou has nine children. His son, one of his son, well, he's a twin. He was 12 when his father was captured. And he was a grown man in his 40s when his father came home. And so the sacrifice that not just our political prisoners make, but the families, right? You talk about the police, when the police didn't care that they were, child, that they were children, when they were looking for Sekou, they told his mother, you better tell your son to turn himself in because if we, if we capture him, we're going to kill him. They told his mother that. Abdul Majid's mother would, had helicopters circling over her house when they were looking for them. They pointed guns at children. They handcuffed children. They did not care. So when we talk about what it's like to be the wife of a political prisoner, it's like it's also including what is it like to be the mother of a political prisoner. Abdul Majid Mislabord, Abdul was, was died via state-sanctioned medical neglect a number of years ago. But his 92-year-old mother used to travel on those vans for a 24-hour journey to visit her son. They didn't give her special treatment because she was 90-something years old. They treated her just like they did not only everyone else, but because she was visiting Abdul Majid. So they go through another level 
of tyranny and terror that is in addition to what it means to have a loved one in prison. So, but it is it's difficult because you have to love through the walls. You have to maintain those family connections through the wall. You have to be husband and wife through the wall. You have to be father and son or father and daughter or mother and son through the through the wall. And in addition to, you know, what this capitalist system does to poor and working class black people on an everyday basis, then you add in trying to maintain those family ties, right? The packages, how much it costs. A prison ride is $55, $60. That's one person. And then when you want to take a child and then you want to eat in the, in the in the visiting room. So all the money that you spend on the vending machines. And then in addition to doing grocery shopping for your family on the outside, it's arranging monthly packages of like 35 pounds a month was what people used to be able to get. So you're taking care of two two families on the inside of the wall and on the outside of the wall. And none of our political prisoners came from wealthy families. So it's a struggle emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, physically, financially, in every way. But I always say that, you know, and I'm not the only one that says it. It's a saying that oppression breeds resistance, and that's what it does. So the fact that people are able to hold on to those family relationships, that people are able to love through the walls to survive their relationships to survive not without some turmoil and chaos but that they're able to survive and still continue to mend in in in, in small ways and continue is an act of resistance but you're right it is by no means easy and people don't think about oftentimes the families that was one of the things that always kind of bothered me about when we talk about political prisoners people see their images on, um, a, a, you know, a, a poster, or they talk about their legacy. Like we say, cool. I used to say, yeah, people talked about him as being one of the people that helped, that was uh, convicted of liberating Asada and quote the general. But he's a man and a father and a son, and said that so. There's some humanity there, and there's some suffering there. There's also some joy and some resistance. But it's, we need to humanize the struggle for political prisoners and what their families have sacrificed and endured, as well as what our political prisoners have sacrificed and endured. Um, when, you, when you address uh, colleges, different students, different people who are just politically active, and you uh, have to make public statements on uh, political prisoners, um, how do you situate that public conversation uh, to sort of make, to, uh, to essentially get across to audiences that it's important to keep political prisoners relevant and not just fading sort of uh, into obscurity? Well, one of the things that I do is ask people who have children who've ever eaten free breakfast in school, who's ever visited a free health clinic, a, a food pantry, gotten a coat from a clothing drive, like every single uh, 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 the survival programs that the Black Panther Party had as part of its 10-point platform and program were programs that were demonized um, during the Black Panther Party, but then have since been co-opted since the, the crushing of the Black Panther Party by COINTELPRO and the government and other 
capitalist organizations and, and what are they called? CBOs and nonprofits have co-opted the survival programs. But all of those are a legacy of the Black Panther Party. So I make those connections that, you know, I, I look at and I share with people the 10-point the, the platform and program to see what is criminal about that. Why would feeding children hungry children make the Black Panther Party, as J. Edgar Hoover said, uh, who was the director of the FBI, why would the free breakfast program make the Black Panther Party, quote, the greatest threat to the internal security of the United States? Because they were confronting capitalism. They were challenging capitalism. They were challenging the state, ignoring the conditions that poor and working class black folks were living under. And they were also inspiring a nation of people to get involved in radical politics and revolutionary politics. So I make those connections between what was happening then and what's happening now, because it's still the more things change, the more they stay the same. We're still dealing with the uh, with the same issues. And I also challenge people to say, if you say that you are an activist, if you say that you are the left, if you say that you are radical, then how do you not support your political prisoners. There's no movements in the world, anywhere in the world where there is a left movement and people are resisting colonialism, imperialism, capitalism. They include their political prisoners in every platform, in every single thing, every single thing that they do. That is only in this country that people do not do that. And so it's either because people don't know, have been taught not to care, or they see it as not connected to their work, which means that we have more study and investigation and political education work to do if people don't realize that political prisoners are connected, right? Because all of us, we are still not free, but I know that there are levels of, quote, freedom that I have that is the result of the blood and sacrifice that came through people who came before me. And we have to keep passing those her stories and her stories, histories along so that people understand that what happened to Harriet Tubman, what happened to Nat Turner, what happened to Malcolm X, what happened to Sekou Odinga, what happened to George Jackson, what happened to all these people is connected to my life on this September 15th, 2018. I have a, kind of just two more questions for you. Um, one of them being, uh, what is your, uh, what's your message to the next generation of sort of whether it's activists, whether it's organizers, or people who want to continue in the work of the black radical tradition, the work that you're doing? What is, what is your message to them? And ultimately, uh, how would you like to see them like, come about it? Well, I guess my, the primary message is that we need them. We need the new uh, next generation. We need people. The black freedom struggle has survived because every generation has carried it forward. But in addition to needing them, they cannot fit, fulfill their legacy and their responsibility if they don't under, if they don't study and understand what why you study. It's not I mean why you resist. It's not enough to say, well, I don't like this. 
right? If I got involved with the fight for political prisoners because I simply don't like that they are political prisoners, I wouldn't be able to have to stay because it's it's hard. It's disappointing. It can be defeating sometimes. It can be you can feel you can feel lonely and you can, it's a it's a lot of work. And so you have to understand why it is that these things exist. So then you understand that this is a protracted struggle. The, this this idea about fighting for political prisoners didn't start with the Black Panther Party and the Black Liberation Army. It happened on those slave ships called the Jesus and and Saint and the Mary and the Faith and Hope and Charity and all those slave ships that they had where people are kidnapped. And as Dr. Clark said. We were made political prisoners in mass. So political prisoners have a 400-year, 500-year history in this country. And so we have to understand why things are the way that they are, where we were, where we are, and where we want to go. And so understanding that is important, to pass that on to, to, to young people, understanding the past, present, and future, understanding that we need them to be involved, understanding that we must study, understand that they also must be careful because what the Black Panther Party did not understand was the lengths that the United States government would do, would go to, to defeat that revolutionary movement of the 1960s. So COINTELPRO was a real vicious thing that had people amongst their midst who were agent provocateurs and snitches who worked to disrupt the movement and the work. And so people really need to understand that they have to be careful, study and watch people. What is it? You know, when people come in just talking about, yeah, we want to do this, we want to do that. Pay attention to people. If you don't know what people are doing when they leave your meetings, connect with people to see how they live in their lives. And and don't think that this, you know, if you're doing something right for your community, the state is going to have a problem with you. When the state starts choosing who to celebrate and honor, then you got to pay attention. Like, well, why is the state, why is the power structure honoring those people? Because oppressed people want an end to capitalism. Oppressed people want an end to oppression. So why would the oppressor be acknowledging me if I'm going up against them? And so it's being mindful, it's being watchful, it's being studious, it's being diligent, and it's knowing that we've been fighting and we're going to continue fighting because this is a capitalist system that means to oppress people. It doesn't mean for everybody to have. This is a, this is a country that's built on the enslavement of one nation and the and genocide of another nation. How could anything about this place be right and just? And finally, um, I want to ask you if you could make a statement on maybe people who are not too familiar with the uh, Jericho movement and uh, just talk about what you guys are doing and, uh, you know, your, your involvement with circling back to Jericho. And then if there's anything that I haven't asked you that uh, you want to get out there to the people who are watching uh, this film or will be watching this film. Okay. So w- there are organizations that do work on behalf of political prisoners. The Jericho Movement for Amnesty and Recognition of U.S. Held Political Prisoners. That's an organization that was created by three political prisoners. One is still a political prisoner, Jaleel Muntakim, who's here in New York State. Sophia Bukhari, who's an ancestor, who was a member of the Black Panther Party, Black Liberation Army. And uh, Baba Herman Ferguson, who was um, a political prisoner for seven years because he was 
he was tried tried and convicted of uh, some attempted so-called attempted crimes. He went to live in Guyana for 19 years and came back and was um, in prison. And they created Jericho in order to try to smash through the invisibility of political prisoners. And so the work that the Jericho movement does is to support, to acknowledge, to, you know, to fight for in whatever ways, whether it's helping with parole packages, medical issues, whatever it is, take people to visit. And so there are to be chapters around the country, but we never have enough people to do this work. But the Jericho movement is about saying that, yes, there are political prisoners in this country. And some people who have become members of Jericho uh, were not political prisoners when they went in, but they became politicized. Like George Jackson was not a political prisoner. He was not a radical revolutionary when he went in, but he came, he became that once inside. And so the work of Jericho is to, to bring awareness and to support monetarily or legally or in any ways. And then I also work with um, an organization, a collective, I should say, a coalition that Sekou uh, worked to form called the Northeast Political Prisoner Coalition. Because whereas the Jericho movement works with political prisoners just in its entirety, whether there's, you know, earth activists, technology activists, um, whoever it is, the Northeast political prisoner, we are focused primarily on the long-held Black Panther, Black Liberation Army, political prisoners that have been in prison for three, four, and, you know, into their fifth decade of imprisonment. And so we're here um, in New York, and it's a coalition of individuals and activists and organizations that are connected in particular ways to those decades held, those decades long held political prisoners and prisoners of war. And it makes a difference because Yalua Ferguson, who was Herman Ferguson's life partner and comrade, I remember a long time ago, she said it makes a difference when a family member is involved in the work. And so we have Sharon and, you know, one of the Schultz children involved in the coalition because then they they can advocate and speak for their family members in the ways that people who don't know them. And so I guess one of the things that I would say to people is that it's so important to recognize this is a struggle for mass liberation. It is not a people's liberation. It is not a struggle for one person's liberation. One of the things that bothers me a lot is I see a cult of the personalities in the work. People tag on to a person and not thinking about building a movement or what it takes to build a movement. And that's why we don't have movements. And that's why corporations like the Ford Foundation and, and all these melons and all these rich capitalists can come in and give activists grant money, which softens the message. The danger, why the government is so threatened by the Black Panther Party and the Black Liberation Army and the the people who are in prison today from those movements is because they were not, they, they, they were clear about their opposition to capitalism. And so these, these organizations, these um, nonprofits, they have come in and softened the message. The, you, people talk about police brutality. 
It's not police brutality. This is police terror and murder. This is state-sanctioned murder. And so gentrification is a nice word for ethnic cleansing and the displacement of poor and working-class people. But you have people who organizations who are getting money from these grants and from these organizations, and then they soften the message. You don't hear the critique of capitalism. You hear them talk about these incidents like they're isolated and they're not connected but all every single every single manifestation of oppression that poor and working class people around this country and this world endure and resist is because of capitalism because of colonialism because of white supremacy because of imperialism and the problem is we don't have enough people naming those things for what they are they pick an item and they say this is a problem. But these things are a problem because of capitalism, imperialism, colonialism, and white supremacy. So my message to, to, to people would be to please get involved in the fight. Like it's not just to save the lives of political prisoners or to fight for their freedom. It's for our freedom because our freedom is connected to everyone else's freedom. Thank you for your time. That's good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm good. Oh, okay. You got, good. You got everything. Um, yeah, I think that went really well. Oh, yeah. thank you. I hope I answered the questions. You did. Thank you. I did. Yes. <laughs> thank well, you. Thank you. Yeah.